Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with West Yorkshire Electrical. That's why I'm here. I assume I've been brought in just to do this because you two are incapable. Yeah, what do you want to know about them? I'd like to know what services they offer. Are they fully accredited? What area do they cover? That kind of thing. Well, yes, fully accredited. Yeah. West Yorkshire, one of the areas, but yeah. also elsewhere in Yorkshire. Like North Yorkshire. North Yorkshire. East, maybe. Why not? Venture South. Southeast. Yeah. Northeast. Yeah. Northwest. Do you think they go outside Yorkshire? Yes. More than likely. More than likely. Yeah. To do things like solar installations, mm-hmm. battery storage. Yes. Electric car, I always forget what they're called, electric car charger. Yeah. You know what I mean. EV charger. EV charger, plug it in. Yeah, security alarms, loads of contract work for schools as well. If you uh, want to get in on that action and you're in charge of a school, yeah, a lot of their work comes from schools. So uh, give them a shout and finances available for work on your home or your business. wyelectrical.co.uk for details. Search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. And without further ado, let's get right into it then. The Monday debrief of the weekend's game. Saturday lunchtime kickoff against Huddersfield. Um, Phil, we said the one to watch heading into this game was penalties. If one came up, one didn't. So we can skip straight past that and into, um, well, a debrief on on the game. I mean, you led off your article on Jorginho Ruto, which is interesting because Somerville was pretty much the one that stole the headlines again, wasn't it? With two goals and two assists. Yeah, a lot of players who are in form, a lot of attacking players in, in form at the moment. And Somerville, absolutely the pick of them. I think that performance from him on Saturday reminded you again why it might have been a good idea for him to have taken the penalty at Stoke he's just finishing a lot he's creating a lot he's, he's in as good form as he's ever been um, for Leeds but the more and more that I look at Ruta particularly the creative side of his game he's not scoring a huge number of goals Ruta and I think for a number nine you'd want more than two at this stage of the season particularly because Leeds have scored 24 um, across the championship to this point but he's just an absolute level apart when it comes to reading the game and seeing what's going on round about him he seems a yard ahead of everybody when it comes to his positioning and his and his thought process as well. It was so one-sided on Saturday that I was trying to think back to the last time I saw a half like that. And what was quite interesting was that the, the very first attack that Leeds had down the left, we were sat in the press box and we were looking at Tom Edwards, Huddersfield's right back, and you could see straight away a really slow turning circle, a real sort of lack of pace. And I thought as well, like the, the physique or the build of more of a central midfielder than a, than a fullback, 
You know, he didn't really have a fullbacks build at all. And he just felt like that was going to be a, a very obvious point of weakness, particularly because Leeds do have so much pace in the team, because Somerville was out there, because Ruta likes to, to drift to the wing and, and, you know, put the same sort of pressure on. That was a massive weak spot for them. Huddersfield never never got a grip of that game at all. And I know Dan Moore was saying afterwards that they had that chance at 1-0, which they did, but it was kind of route one football. It was a, a, a miscontrol from Shackleton that gave them that that brief chance um, before Roland stuck a foot in. And Moore saying that after that, you know, it was two quick goals and the game got away from them. I thought was quite a, a generous appraisal, really, of, of their performance. They were absolutely dreadful right through the first half. Michael, you normally spend your Monday assembling clips for propaganda and we sort of trickle them into, uh, into our workspace, the various links and stuff, don't we, across the weekend. What's the general mood been so far and what can we look forward to on propaganda? Do you think the Huddersfield fans are quite accepting of how bad they were? I mean, I did notice for, uh, for Edwards there was a petition online to suggest he should never play for Huddersfield again, <laughs> such was the level of his, of his performance. People trying to get it debated in Parliament or something that he should never, he should never play again. Yeah, there's a lot of yearning for the better times of um, Neil Warnock, which is hard to get your head around as a Leeds fan, having seen that football. But then again, having seen the football, they, well, they didn't play on the weekend. I guess the idea of someone being a bit, a bit basic and solid is, is kind of a, a tonic compared to that. I think it's quite unusual. And you may disagree with this, but to look at one specific player on the pitch and think that's a definite point of vulnerability that that's kind of so obvious. And, and, that you kind of think instantly that'll be a problem for Huddersfield. I mean, I think all round the way they approached the game tactically was, was a a big issue. They were very passive and you could see in the early moments of the game that what they were hoping for was the the odd occasion to counter-attack with a a little bit of pace. But as it turns out, I mean, counter-attacking is really one of the major strengths of of this Leeds team and some of the goals they're scoring are quite reminiscent of the the counter-attacking goals that they used to score on Bielsa's watch, particularly in the Championship. You know, he, he always played Bielsa, front foot football. It was always possession-based, heavily possession-based. But it was like a hidden strength of that team that they could counter you as well as anybody else in, in the division. And that's the thing with Leeds. If you get caught upfield and, and caught in areas where you can't recover quickly, they will hurt you. Um, and that happened time and again on Saturday. I mean, I, I thought 4-0 at, at halftime flattered Huddersfield to quite a large degree. There were so many chances in the half, that you were kind of hoping that that was going to run on to 5-0, 6-0, 7-0. And Michael saying there, you know, them hoping for the, the, uh, uh, pining for the good times of Warnock. I mean, the period under Warnock weren't particularly good times either. You know, it was all a bit, um, it was all a bit wishy-washy, all wasn't really going anywhere. But suddenly you look at Dan Moore and think he's got a, he's got a really big job on there. And they might be very grateful for the fact that the three teams at the bottom of the league seem to be pretty dreadful. That counter-attacking strength actually really, really visible and in evidence with, Piru and how deep he was at times and he set up the goal didn't he where he just sent it through midfield and we broke on Huddersfield and um, and away you go uh, for not the first time in the afternoon but he was almost like on the edge of our own area there getting things going and it was highlighted wasn't it by Farker in the post-match that he was uh, it was not necessarily his sort of game and that goal was evidence I think of why yeah um, but also evidence of what I was saying at the start about Ruta you know just the, the vision to and, and the, the good sense to delay the pass until until it was given Somerville um, the best chance of doing something with it. There is a lot of pace in this team, but there's also a lot of skill and a lot of kind of inherent talent. And again, that first touch from Somerville as the ball comes over is absolutely beautiful. And that really, after the route of passes, is what sets the chance up. The fact that he's able to get up to full speed straight away and with, with space to to run into. It's interesting with Ruta because, um, with Piro, sorry, because 
I think I said a few weeks back, and before we got that long answer from Farker, that this was probably going to be a debate that ran all the way through the season about the way Pirro is being used and whether or not it's going to maximise, I don't think necessarily his, his impact, but his, his goal scoring more than anything. And I, I suspect, and I'm saying this in the, the article that, 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 that published yesterday, I suspect Farker would probably accept that if Pirro was at nine, he would score more goals than he is at the moment. And I think looking at Ruter and the way he plays, you can see why he would be massively effective at 10 because that's the pocket that he's dropping into constantly. We, we pulled some graphics together showing that how much he's creating from that particular area. And, you know, it's, I, was, I was looking at his tally of big chances. It's bigger than, I think, um, or higher than about five clubs um, in the championship. You know, him alone. He's just been so creative right, right the way through. But it would be pretty disingenuous to say that there's a problem with, um, with Farker's attack when they're averaging two goals a game when they're, they're third in, in the division. And I think the point with Pirro is that really what Farker said, if you moved him to nine, he might score more goals individually, but would it work as well? You don't, you'd only find that out if you actually did the experiment and and went for it and, and saw what happened. But you might actually find that shifting Pirro into nine makes Leeds less effective all round because attacking-wise, they're not struggling on that front. Positionally, now I am saying this tongue-in-cheek, of course, but I think... I think there's maybe a crumb of truth in this. Uh, Ruta is less of a position, more of a vibe. He kind of just goes and does what he wants, doesn't he? Where he wants. And yeah. just make, he just makes magical things happen. Well, I was thinking about this afterwards. He's a bit of a free spirit, really, isn't he? And the championship has become such a kind of structured, tactically structured division where everything's drilled and everything is set up to, I think in, in a lot of cases, to, to play the percentages, really, to maximise overall team performance, as opposed to, and the player I was thinking of was Tarabd at QPR, who, who um, got them promoted under Warnock. It was quite similar, really. Um, you know, like you say, just did his own thing. And it's not that, that Ruter isn't, doesn't have a place in the system, and it's not as if he doesn't know what he's doing, and it's not as if he's not contributing to that. But I do like the fact that you do just get that little bit of off-the-cuff flair that isn't that evident right the way through the division. You know, I just think more and more, looking at him, he is that he's in that class of player that money can't buy you in the Championship. If you're a Championship club and you don't have Ruta, you can't get him. Um, Leeds have got him by virtue of the fact they spent a lot of money on him when they were in the Premier League. But he should be a massive asset right the way through. Um, and I already think you're looking at potential player of the year for Leeds. Absolutely. And Padua as well. He's just been... Uh... Or maybe he falls foul of being steady. I don't know. Steady and unspectacular, but really, really good. I don't think he's falling foul, though, because people are really noticing it. I did say on Twitter during the game, you know, he's sort of quietly conducting the orchestra, but it was a proper Ampadu performance. I think he's been the best signing of the summer. Um, I think Byron pushes him close because Byron's been, Byron's a free transfer, has done a good job of solving that position that leads make heavy weather of solving time and time again. He's been good at left back um, and, and he's made a difference to the team. But I do think Ampadu, by a distance, has been the most consistent and, and impressive midfielder so far. And he just seems to me to be absolutely crucial in the structure of Farkas' team. I don't think, minus somebody like Ampadu, you're getting anything like the, the possession you have, the positions you have for your attacking players to to blossom and, and to play as they, they want to play. He's He's been a critical cog in the machine. Kamara was good though, wasn't he, at the weekend? Yeah, I thought it was noticeable the difference between the the Stoke game with him in rather than rather than Grove. It just felt like he's a, a far more offensive player, and he just was making things happen in there. Maybe the weakness of the opposition allowed him to show a bit more skill than we've seen from him as well. Like he was, he seemed to be dominating the midfield in terms of taking it round people and just running it more, I think, than we've seen before. 
I think Stoke's intensity and press and, and their general organisation was so much better than Huddersfield. So without any question, it was a difficult game for Gruev to drop into um, on, on Wednesday night. But the changes on Saturday made total sense to me. As soon as he saw um, the lineup, it was the right decision, I think, to to give Archie Gray a break um, and a rest. I think that had to be a change in midfield alongside um, Ampadu. It didn't make much sense to persist with that too after, um, particularly because of the quick turnaround as well. I think it would have been asking a lot of Gruev to have had a significantly um, better game. And I think, you know, also bringing Somerville back in, absolutely. And, and Dan James at the moment is, is quite kind of funny. And I, I apply this to Somerville as well, that at the start of the season, it was Nonto that we were looking at and thinking he's going to be the big weapon in this division. You know, he's going to be the one who looks... You know, perhaps aside from somebody like Ruter, although I don't know what exactly we were expecting Ruter right at the outset, but with Nonto, we were thinking he's going to be the one who sticks out as being kind of ludicrous at being at, at this level of, of football. But actually, I don't think he gets into the team ahead of James at the moment, and he certainly doesn't get in ahead of Somerville. And those two finishes from James, for all that over the years we've kind of criticised end product, you know, his, his, um, his final ball and, and his finishing and, and everything else... Those are great goals, particularly the first one. Do you think Farker's bringing this out in Dan James? Is it to do with being in his best position? Maybe just being settled, something like that? You know, it could be something as simple as that, can it, sometimes with footballers? I think there are a few things that have helped. That'll definitely be it. And there is far more, I think, confidence and feeling of continuity um, around the dressing room, around um, the training ground than there was last season when everything just seemed to be in, in flux and everything seemed to be on the edge. Um, I think the difference in division will help as well. And that's probably true of a few players. I know Melier had that error on Saturday, which was an absolute gimme of a catch. He shouldn't have spilled that. And it didn't matter in the grand scheme. But you get the sense of him settling down. That's definitely, I think, been true of Strike as well. I think Strike absolutely needed a period like this and perhaps just needed a season, you know, slightly lower level, long, consistent season where he finds himself again, having struggled for form and, and sort of been lost a little bit in these sporadic chances at left-back and then occasional game at, at centre-back. And I think that's probably true of, of Dan James. I get the feeling that, that Dan James is very much a confidence player um, and it's been able to to develop. And, I mean, his contribution, goals and assists, has been really big so far. But also, as you go across the team, the spread of goals and the spread of assists and the spread of creativity is, is pretty broad and pretty wide. And that, very often, is what gets you promoted. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One of the themes we noticed uh, the weekend, Phil, and do you agree with this, was just around the sort of changing of the guard in the sense that um, the promotion team from last time, Bielsa's team, is now it's now sort of on the way out, it's in the decline. I'm thinking in terms of how Bamford was received at Stoke, the penalty miss. There were certain boos as well at Ellen Road at the weekend. Ailing clearly on the way now. Cooper slightly unsettles the defence. You know, when you when you lose Road on and put Cooper in, you've got two lefties in there. Just that sense that you lose a few percent in terms of in terms of output. And it just became really stark and obvious to me, I think, at the weekend, uh, that 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 generation of players is kind of is now on the periphery and is almost being moved out at Leeds and the new generation's coming through. Yeah, I agree. Which, if you think about it, is how it has to be because we're three and a half years on almost from promotion now and, and times times do change. We we got into this, didn't we, in, in the last podcast where I was saying, um, or one of the recent ones where I was saying, if you look at the lineup now, you have virtually nobody in it that made significant number of starts under Bielsa in that promotion season. Um, I think I made the point that Melier wouldn't have started, I don't think, had it not been for Casillas' ban. Stroik was, you know, it was very much occasional use. Um, he wasn't a, a, a main player by by any stretch. And your others have either left the club or have drifted onto the fringes. And I think you I think you're right what you say about the defence. So one of the points I was trying to make about Ruther is you can't pretend that in any way he leads a, a one-man team or that he makes them a one-man team. And I think you saw that with the loss of Rodon in the second half. There was a definite shift from ultra solid defence to a defence that suddenly looked a little bit less reliable, um, a little bit more shaky and, and seemed to have bigger gaps and it seemed to be a little bit more susceptible to the, the very small amount of pressure that Huddersfield put on them. It wasn't a problem and it wasn't an issue, but I think, I imagine you'll probably agree with this, I did come away thinking, I very much hope Rodon's fit for Leicester um, on Friday night. I think he, a little bit like Ampadu, has been really, really important in just giving Leeds some solidity and um, some proper, proper reliability at the back. Yeah, we saw it at Southampton, didn't we? Uh, did either of you two catch the uh, the Manchester derby on Sunday? Because I was left with the thought watching that, that as football separates kind of into the financial haves and have-nots, I do wonder if, I mean, and we're not as dominant as Man City are in the Premier League, if there's a certain amount of that in the Championship with the, you know, the embarrassment of riches we've got, particularly going forward, that you, you saw that disparity in action on Saturday, didn't it? It looked like proper leagues apart stuff, I thought. And then you've seen it again with Man, Man City against Man United on on Sunday, where um, Man United can't even keep up with their cross-city rivals anymore. Is it is a sort of a, a microcosm version of that in the Championship with us, do you think, and Leicester as well? I feel like this year is probably more stark than normal because the teams that came down were teams that had invested quite heavily. Normally, you, you'll get, like, for example, when Burnley or Luton come down, they'll come down not having a team full of 25, 30 million pound players, whereas you look at the size that us and Leicester have come down with and you won't, should, probably should have stayed up or if, if they'd allocate resources differently. I, I think this this Leeds team in the division next year, which I know we're getting into weird future theoreticals here, but with, with a team likely with Sheffield United, Burnley and Luton, for example, in the division, I think we could probably walk it with this team. Right. It's just that Leicester look pretty good and Southampton as well. I guess they're, they're looking fairly solid bets for the playoffs as well. So the, the division's definitely crystallising now, I think. I think when you get relegated, if, if you if your intention is to get promoted really quickly, I mean that kind of goes without saying. But you do have clubs who cut the cloth a bit and accept that you know they've had a period in the Premier League. It's going to be 
how to do that again. If you do want to, if you do want the immediate immediate bounce back ability, as it, as the phrase was coined, you need to kind of beg, borrow, and steal to make sure that you do it. And it was quite it was quite telling, I think, with Leicester that when they were relegated, unlike Leeds, they didn't have um, wage reduction clauses, relegation clauses that that reduced the, the salaries of their players. And the reason for that was that because when they were signing these players, they had absolutely no expectation of ever going down. You know, they'd won the title, they'd won the FA Cup, they were in Europe, they looked like they were very, very settled, and then it all got out of shape last season. But they have fundamentally really strong squad. And I'll say it again, you know, I spoke to Robert Snodgrass over the summer about Maresca, their head coach, who, who he worked with at West Ham, and he did say, this guy is really good. You know, he'll do really good things for them. And and he has. Um, I mean, you saw it with Burnley, didn't you? Came down, cantered the league. You've seen it a little bit with Leicester. I know there's a long way to go, but I mean, they're in ridiculously good position at the moment and are just digging it out week after week after week. So I think you're right. I think there definitely is a, a little bit of um, disparity there. And and I, I think if you're opposition manager like Darren Moore, you must be looking... I mean, I don't think Moore can hide from the way in which that completely failed for Huddersfield on, on Saturday and the extent to which it did and the speed at which it all fell apart. But there must be an element of you looking at the players that um, that Farka has, not only on the pitch but on on the bench as well, and thinking this is nigh on impossible to compete with. Certainly over forty six games. It's funny, isn't it? You think you were winning four nil, four one at home, whatever it might be, and the atmosphere would be rocking. But it actually, that disparity kind of flattened it at the weekend, didn't it? I don't know. It's an early kickoff as well, so those people have not imbibed as much alcohol and whatever. It just um, because it was so such so much like a training exercise is what I described it as on on the match ball. You just kind of. Spent that second half just watching us knock it around. Huddersfield not really pressing to try and win it back, and uh, and everyone was just thinking, right, well, we'll see this one out and then and we'll go home. But um, it, it should be bouncing, shouldn't it? But it kind of it flattened it a little bit at the weekend. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think it wasn't flat in the first half. I mean, the, the atmosphere was was fantastic. The problem in the second half was that Huddersfield had clearly decided that the the name of the game was not to con- concede again, so they were just basically sitting in being as compact as they could and kind of shielding leads them um, away from goal as much as possible. The fact that they left Jonathan Hogg on the pitch could easily have been sent off in the first half, probably should have been sent off for a second yellow in the first half. I was watching him through it because I was expecting him to go at the interval. I thought they would replace him on the basis that it was likely that he would get sent off at some point. Um, so I was watching him after halftime and the reason he didn't get sent off after halftime was because he wasn't really sticking a foot in. And I suspect he wasn't sticking a foot in because he knew the risk if he did. So, you know, there wasn't a huge amount in the way of chances. There was the goal for Huddersfield that they shouldn't have scored. I mean, like Farkas said afterwards, that's not really a chance that in the sense that it's not been created. It's just Melier spilling one and, and um, Hellig being there to, to tap it in. So, yeah, it, as this, the second half went on, it, it was a, a washout. And you did think to yourself, you might as well have just blown this up at half time. But it doesn't detract from the fact that it's a fantastic win. And it was a great performance. They just completely buried the derby at, at that point. I was going to ask you actually before the game, you mentioned in the Manchester derby there. I've gone through a lot of Yorkshire derbies doing this job. And I love the fact that Leeds is a one club city. I like the, the sort of one club city model. But I wonder whether you guys ever wish that you had, like, obviously, I grew up in Edinburgh. So we had the, the Edinburgh derby, Hearts and Hibs, and you have the Manchester derby. And I wonder whether you guys ever wish that you had a bit of that, you know, from time to time. Because none of these derbies seem to, as far as I can tell, seem to resonate as much as when. Leeds go to Old Trafford um, or play other clubs like like that. It doesn't seem to be on the same level of, of intensity, I don't think. No, no, you're right. I think but I I'm, I grew up in the 80s when Leeds and Bradford City were sharing a division for, for quite a mm. long time. So to me, that felt like a, a very natural thing to happen. And it's only in later years that there was a lot of separation between the clubs and they didn't really spend any time in, 
in the same division. But that was always fun having having the local derby, you know, to look forward to in that season. It, had, it gave you that extra edge. Just that felt like the stakes were higher, particularly when you were a kid. And I grew up in Bradford as well, so. You know, like when the, I grew up, we never played Huddersfield or Bradford yeah. for, for quite a few years. I know Bradford got into the Premier League, didn't they? In the was it late nineties, early two thousands, they were there yeah. for for a, for a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I didn't actually fully appreciate how much Huddersfield hated us until we got to play them. Yeah, and I was like, all right, <laughs> I kind of knew there was a bit of something there, but our attitude to Huddersfield was generally fairly condescending. Yeah, and it's the way it still is, isn't it? But, <laughs> Whereas Huddersfield, you said about Huddersfield, it was like, oh right, bloody but, hell. But I think there is a almost a sense of why do you actually hate us? What is it that we've actually done that means you hate us? Because we've barely played you mm. until recent times and yet you seem to be coming in with all this venom but it's just, I think it's just the, the nature and the shape of derbies, isn't it? Particularly with like when you're seen to be like the big club up the road. I will say though, it was nice to just box this one off nice and early yeah. and have a clear golfing class there because over the years we've made these games quite difficult and like we've lost plenty of times to Huddersfield and Barnsley and teams that we've actually generally finished above in the table but in those individual games we've um, we've actually well we've taken a few quite bad beatings in them over the years so yeah it was quite nice to just get this one all over and done with after after 45 minutes it's probably actually as as extreme a difference as I've seen between Leeds and Huddersfield at, at any stage I mean I remember Leeds giving Huddersfield a trouncing under Dennis Wise at Ellen Road I think that was the, the game where Smithies played um, and, and got got kind of tormented by by the cop and I think you can kind of relate it to the Manchester derby in that seeing that yesterday or, or seeing the result and, and reading about it, the disparity was clearly vast between Manchester City and Manchester United. And I think a little, little bit like Saturday at Ellen Road, when it is that that extreme quality and, and class is, is going to tell and is going to tell quite emphatically, which it definitely did at Ellen Road. That's the biggest disparity since we played Bradford City in 2001. I just looked that one up and that one was 5-1 at half time. I can remember that one um, taking a, a similar sort of uh, a similar sort of form when you're just talking about Bradford being in the Premier League. Yeah, six-one. Viduka, Hart, Backer, Smith, Kewell, all scoring in that first half with uh, Bowie getting a six towards the uh, the back end of the game. That was McCall. Was it Andy Myers and Stuart McCall having a, a little punch up between themselves on That's that game it. as well? Yeah, could well have been. Could well have been. QPR have sacked Ainsworth and Bristol City have got rid of Pearson as well. So we've seen some changes in the Championship already. The, the Bristol one does slightly confuse me in the sense that they're middle of the table they're on 18 points five away from the playoffs as it stands at the minute but a good comfortable what's that nine points away from from relegation steady but unspectacular I do wonder what they want yeah and if I if I remember rightly when we were talking about the Bristol City game coming up that was kind of what we said wasn't it they've got a not a bad squad but not but not a bad squad isn't going to do you anything in the division so we we kind of thought they'd they'd sit somewhere outside the playoffs but not in a huge amount of trouble I mean, I don't know if you noticed when they were at Ellen Road, but Pearson spent the entire game, he's a major back trouble. He spent the entire game sat on a chair in front of, uh, in between the two dugouts, rather than actually being in the dugout um, itself. So from a health point of view, or a physical point of view, he clearly hasn't been in a particularly good way. I was slightly surprised by that one. I can't say I'm surprised by the, the QPR one at all. That that has been coming, I think, was was pretty inevitable. And we're already, I would say, moving into that period where clubs are, going to start getting a little bit twitchy about the way this is going. The one thing, as I said, that, that is helping, and, and this is actually quite true in the Premier League as well, is that the bottom three look so poor that they might just help everybody out this year. It's basically a race to get Neil Warnock first, isn't it? <laughs> you beat this, me to this stage, the championship. That's you, why everyone's, everyone's pulling the trigger now. You absolutely beat me to it. I was just going to say it's the activate Warnock um, time of year, isn't it? Although it feels a little bit early. I think he'd prefer to be swung into action after Christmas so he can spend Christmas at home. Yeah, but I mean, he just seems to take anything that comes his way, doesn't he? He just seems like somebody who is never, ever going to re- 
retire, partly because he doesn't want to, and partly because clubs just keep going after him and, and keep um, keep giving him keep giving him work. And it has to be said, inexplicably. Well, his record in those sort of jobs is really good, though, isn't it? And as a kind of easy short-term solution, you can see why it, it shows no imagination at all. It, it's you know, it's not quite. I don't think on the level of giving Sam Allardyce four games at the end of a season when you you're pretty blatantly going down. But it is, you know, there's there's no there's no magic in that appointment at all. Is that you're basically just saying do a job, sort us out, then you can leave again, and um, we can all have the. We can all have the funny press conference or the jokes about, oh, you know, that might be back, I might not, even though everybody knows that it definitely will be. So, yeah, you're right. I think over the next few weeks, we'll see, won't we? Uh, talking of new appointments, then Leeds do have a new um, chief operating officer in the form of Maury Eisenberg, former 49ers man, former Tesla as well, who's um, coming into oversee various bits around the club, is looking at commercial revenue, business operations, support or experience commercial partnerships and he will also lead longer term strategic initiatives including the initial stages of our stadium redevelopment plans said the statement that's on the quite, website there's quite a lot of work on his hands that isn't it yeah, yeah. it's just toilet seats the stadium redevelopment plans for now I think yeah <laughs> getting some of the basics in get the pie off the wall get some new hand dryers in we, we had this conversation didn't we, about chief operating officer in the in the pipeline and this is part of the the 49 is trying to broaden out the manage, management structure at Ellen Road. He will, from my understanding, be kind of below Angus Kinnear in the, the chain of command, but it is still a really senior position. He's well known to the 49ers. He was involved in their um, stadium redevelopment over there. I think that'll be a massive focus of, of his job. And as I've said before, the, the impression the 49ers had of Leeds was that irrespective of three years in the Premier League, they didn't have a Premier League infrastructure, didn't weren't really close to, to having one. And this is, I don't think this will be the last appointment we see that I think there'll be other people who who arrive in kind of similar roles or, or at that kind of level to, to broaden things out. But yeah, well known to the 49ers and, and not surprised that it's him. Yeah, there is a lot of work to do behind the scenes. Like um, you hear anecdotally as well about things like they don't have any customer relationship management software, like a single central database of being able to speak to customers so they don't necessarily know who who buys the shirts and the match tickets and, you know, buys commercial services from the club in one single place, do they? There's, there's various databases I think they've got at the club. So things like bringing all that under one umbrella will really, really help them. Because I know that like the 49ers are very sort of data-focused. It's all very progressive and modern, isn't it? I don't think pound for pound, given how big leads are, I don't think any club has been more affected by being out of the Premier League at the precise moment where they, they were. And the various ownership issues that they had, the the lack of investment in internal infrastructure so you know management management um, makeup and everything else but also the the bricks and mortar of the stadium and the training ground and and all of that it it has been it's kind of been two decades that passed leads by at a point where everybody else was cashing in and everybody else was upgrading and everybody else was either redeveloping the stadium or moving stadium or, or whatever else and leads were left to to stand still and as you say quite a lot if you stand still in football you you go backwards and that's that's absolutely true I wonder how soon it'll be that we'd hear about, you know, the stadium plans moving forward. I don't think the 49ers want to wait long in doing that. I mean, there must be a certain degree to which they they have to hedge the bets a little bit, um, depending on on promotion and, and getting the timing right. But it does feel like it's a project that will definitely happen. Yeah, it feels like they're not going to wait if and when we get back up, as soon as we get up, you feel like the button's going to be pushed, don't you? Yeah, and I think I suspect that they'll plan and will be planning um, in advance of that anyway. Um, you have quite a long period for the planning process. I would imagine it will be at least 12 months. Um, so it's not as if you click your fingers and you start knocking the West Stand down tomorrow. 
but they they want to have um, they want to have everything in the pipeline and and good to go because it, it badly needs to be done. Well, as we stand then, Monday the 30th of October, Leeds United third in the championship table. Bit of a gap up to to second and first, but there is an argument for saying better to be in the slipstream, closing them down, than uh, than trying to fend people off at this stage, isn't it? So oh, I hate to be in Leicester's position. It's awful, isn't it? it looks awful. <laughs> Nervously looking over your shoulder. But um, that's, that looks like it's going to be the challenge for the season, doesn't it? Chip away at those those points totals up there if we can do over the course of the season and uh, hopefully, I think Ipswich in particular, you, you're eyeballing for a wobble at some point because Leicester look unstoppable at the minute. Yeah, it, it feels a bit fanciful looking at Leicester and thinking definitely going to reel them in, no problem. I suspect in order for that to even be a possibility, Leeds will have to win at Leicester on, on Friday and absolutely not lose that game. But But even so... The problem is that you're not just asking Leeds to go on a ridiculously good run of form. You're asking Leicester to start hitting a really dodgy patch of form. They're not going to be perfect all the way through and, and you don't see them finishing with 45 wins and, and one defeat. But they're not looking like a team who are going to shed many points. I'm, I'm with you. I think Ipswich are probably the side that anybody who wants to get promoted automatically need to be targeting at the moment. Well, to the King Power on Friday. We'll be back later in the week then to preview that one. Phil, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll speak then. Thank you. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.